Yes, it is, and welcome back. I usually start with a compliment whenever I have John Hinderacher on. I will do that, but first, John, an apology. I screwed up the times, and I very much apologize for that and appreciate your being able to work with us on it. No problem at all, Pat. It's the funny thing. Arizona doesn't change its clocks, and that creates more confusion here than anywhere else. So thank you. <laughs> I never I never know what time it is in Phoenix. Yeah, there you <laughs> Well, thank you. Now the compliment. Uh, you, you, you posted something great, as you always do. And outside, I, I did. I kind of did a surf of the, uh, surfing around on this. Outside of conservative outlets, this just didn't make the news. And I think it's the most important thing we may read all month: Are the Democrats becoming a fascist party? Based on a Rasmussen poll, I spent a ton of time on it yesterday. John, this is an amazing, an amazing finding. And uh, if you want to say something about it to start off, please go ahead. Well, Seth, it's extraordinary because that's a word that gets thrown loosely around, yep. right? Yep. So if a Republican wants to limit the power of government, the Democrats call them a fascist, yep. you know, which is the exact opposite right. of the meaning of the word. Right. But but Rasmussen did this did this survey asking whether people would support or oppose various measures, supposedly anti COVID measures, and and the links to which a majority or near majority of Democrats say they're willing to go, it's just stunning. You know, it's stunning. I mean, 59% of Democrats say they would favor legislation that would confine all unvaccinated people to their homes, except in case of emergency. I mean, it's amazing. And to me, the one that, I mean, it goes on and on. I mean, uh, 45% say uh, put unvaccinated people in camps. Uh (laughs) And they, uh, uh, 47% would support uh, putting digital tracking devices on all unvaccinated people to make sure that they're not interacting with other human beings. But the most most shocking one to me, though, Seth, they're all shocking, but but 48%. 48 percent of Democrats in this survey said they thought that the government should fine or imprison anyone who publicly questions the efficacy of the existing COVID-19 vaccine on social media, television, radio, or online or digital publications. That would be your show and mine, right? That would be both of our outlets. If you question the efficacy of existing vaccines, they want to put you in prison. 48% of Democrats said, great idea. And, of course, one of the ironies, Seth, is I think it's undisputed that the vaccines uh, do not uh, prevent you from catching COVID, do not prevent you from spreading COVID, and the beneficial effect that they have doesn't last very long. You know, I was making that point, too. Yeah, that is a very important related point. If 48% of Democrats think the government should fine or imprison individuals who publicly question the efficacy of the vaccines, then they better start arresting or thinking about arresting Rochelle Walensky and Joe Biden, because they've contradicted themselves on the very point you just made. You betcha. You betcha. Yeah, the only crime I mean, conservatives the, would have committed is questioning it before Biden and and Walensky being ahead of the right. pre- being ahead I mean, of the I mean, administration on it. Yeah. The, the efficacy of these of, of these vaccines is an important uh, you know public health public policy issue, and obviously people people need to be free to talk about it. I mean, so 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 the the, the impulse which which Seth can legitimately and should legitimately be described as fascist that we're seeing here put people in. Camp- Put tracking devices on them. 
throw them in jail if they if they question the efficacy of the vaccines? I mean, this is remarkable. Uh, best thing I got all year was a shirt a friend of mine made for me, and it said hashtag m hashtag m o f a. Uh, uh, which would stood for, uh, excuse me, MOFA, Make Orwell Fiction Again. And yeah, I'm going right. to need another T-shirt, Make Vonnegut Fiction Again. He wrote this story, Harrison Bergeron, you may remember it, years and years ago, where people had to, you know, be monitored and they had to have implants in their heads to scatter their thoughts. And if they were looking too pretty, they had to have a covering over their face because no one could be prettier than anyone else. And no one could be smarter than it, th- th- this is an incredible finding, this survey um, and 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 frightening in almost every decisive respect one could imagine. Literally half of the Democratic Party. Yeah, we could quibble over for the 48 percent number or the 59 percent numbers, but that's effectively half plus the Democratic Party is pulled to believe these things as we're told at the same time. That most people who are Democrat and vote for Joe Biden think they're voting moderate. And then when we, people like you, John, or me on this show, talk about the radicalism of the Democratic Party, we're just kind of pointing out to the extremes. The party isn't Bernie Sanders. Oh, yes, the hell it is. And worse, it's not Bernie Sanders. This is Mao and Pol Pot and Castro and Stalin is what this is. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, Bernie Sanders would have been the Democratic nominee in 2016 if if the DNC had rigged the process to get Hillary Clinton to come out on top. Uh, By rights, he he likely should have been the nominee in in 2020. Uh, uh, He and uh, Ocasio-Cortez and the rest of the squad and and a handful of others uh, represent the the beating heart of the Democratic Party. And, and um, I think we're in a kind of a scary situation where the Democratic leadership in Washington may well be more moderate than your average Democrat. Yeah, that would be that would be a frightening situation because the pressures, of course, and I think we've kind of seen it. How would, do you think this is too cute or do you think it's true to say there would be very that we could imagine there would be very little difference between a Bernie Sanders presidency and what we've seen over the last year. I don't know what more would be different. Maybe the clarity well, of what, thought. The clarity what, of thought might be different. Well, Sanders isn't as far gone mentally as Biden. That's what I mean, yeah. But I don't, yeah. I, in terms of policy, I don't know anything that would right. be different. I mean, right. what they're doing is incredibly, incredibly radical. And really, Biden, you know, Biden has got together with Sanders and so on. And I, I you know, I think... You know, he's he's pushing the Sanders wish list, but, you know, they're pushing things even farther out than that. That's right. When the Democrats took that 50-50 majority, so to speak, in the Senate and that slim little majority in the House and they got Biden in the White House, they were going to shoot the moon. And they were serious about admitting two new states to the union that would be reliably Democratic. They were serious about packing the Supreme Court, you know. And, and 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 they haven't they haven't been able to pull off those extremely radical measures. They tried really but hard to federalize at, elections. They tried very well, hard to do that. Well, to federalize elections and to make voter fraud mandatory. Right. I mean, this this bill that they keep talking about, voting rights by eye. What that bill does is to make election integrity illegal. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting, Seth, because there's a recent poll that found eighty percent favor voter ID, right? Mm -hmm. Other polls I've seen, 75% favor voter ID. But there's no question that an overwhelming majority of Americans favor voter ID and in general want 
honest elections. Well, this bill the Democrats are trying to ram through would make voter ID illegal. And we're the ones who are breaking the norms. Illegal, illegal to 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 try to have election integrity. And and what's striking about that to me, Seth, is that it's not that the Democrats are too stupid to know that this is unpopular. They know it's unpopular. You know, they know they're going to take a short term hit when people realize what's in this bill if they can pass it. But they don't care. They are playing for permanent victory. Don't you think they're also playing with fire? I mean, in a sense. The invocations of Bull Connor and Jefferson Davis and trying to impute that to the Republican Party over this issue. I mean, that I think that's playing with a with a racial fire and a historical. Uh, I don't know if it's deliberate ignorance or, or, or if it's a deliberate misdirection. I mean, this is this is the kind of stuff. No one. No president used to talk like this. No president. No, we've never seen anything like it. Um, you talk about divisive. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's unbelievable, Bull Connor and Jefferson Davis. And, of course, Joe Biden bragged back in, 19, I think it was 1967, about being praised by George Wallace. Yep. He's one of the top uh, Southern politicians. He talked about, hey, you know, half of Delaware is part of Dixie. Yep. <laughs> they bragged about being praised by George Wallace. Now, of course, he's got the Republicans aligned with George Wallace. And Bull Connor, who, by the way, was a member of the Democratic All of them were. All of them were, as was his friend Senator Eastland, the segregationist, as was William Fulbright, who people still bow down to. This is not the Republican Party's problem. It's the Democratic Party's problem. And it seems like they've walked right back into it, right back into it. The way they want to divide and resegregate and make and exploit these racial issues and racial tensions in this country. Is it the last best hope of the Democratic Party to do that? Is that their is that their playbook when all else is failing? Go racial? Well, it obviously is, Seth. I, I don't I think I think when you just look at what's happened in recent years, yeah, that, it's really their first instance first. to go racial. Okay. Right? <laughs> first, okay. Everything. It doesn't matter what the issue is. They'll somehow tie it into, uh, into race. But I don't know. I mean, is it working? Uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of Hispanics moving toward the yep. GOP. We're seeing blacks. I don't think it's as many yet, but certainly some moving toward the GOP. Um, I, 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 I don't, you know, one of the things, Seth, to be blunt, I mean, we're, we're a country where, you know, two-thirds of us are white. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I understand. I don't approve of demonizing minorities, right, right? right? That's a terrible thing to do, but I understand how demonizing a minority could be politically rewarding. I do not understand how attacking and and demonizing two thirds of your population yeah. can be a good political strategy. I oh, that's an interesting point. That's a hugely it. interesting point. You're familiar a little bit probably with some of the stuff the Smithsonian was trying to pull off with whiteness and you know, a lot of these uh, HR departments, even at the state and municipal levels across the country, examples of whiteness, you know, it's almost a bad it's almost a bad joke, you know, a bad joke. You know, you're white if you've, you've seen some of this stuff going on. That's a really interesting point. Are they trying to impose some kind of national collective guilt on the majority? Um, hard to say, but they think it has a political payoff. And I suppose John, it's also fair to say exploiting group differences and exploiting and blaming groups based on their ethnicities 
has a long tradition of what garnering the uh, garnering the necessary the necessary supports and ballasts for fascism. It really does. Well, they obviously want to divide us uh, by race and, and other ways too. You know, gender, and yep. sexuality, yep. and so forth. But race race is, is the big one, and yep. that's what critical race theory is all yep. about. You know, yep. teaching school children to hate their country and to hate each other. You know, to pit little kids against each other based on based on skin color. And they obviously think that a that a warring, divided, uh, violent, uh, unhappy country is in their is in the interest of their political power. Are they right? <laughs> what do you think? I don't know. It's a weird thing that's going on and and I was I was having a conversation with um you, you know Brian Kennedy, the ch- head of the uh, Committee on the Present Danger, China, uh, mm-hmm. used to be uh, uh, president of the Claremont Institute. I was having a conversation with him about the Olympics the other day, and we were talking about how so many talking heads in this country and so many grassroots you know, animated themselves over uh, the issue of slavery in this country, which, of course, as anyone knows, ended a little over 150 years ago today. But it's hard to get them animated at all. In fact, they become defensive and apologetic over it taking place right now in China. And I I, I made the comment to Brian. I said, if you look to China right now, uh, what they're doing, not just in the Xinjiang province with the Uyghurs, but really throughout the country. And you think about the concentration camps. You think about the slave. You know, China is is embodying today the worst of World War II and the worst of the 19th century in the West. And all the left can do in this country is turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to that and blame this country for things that ended 150 years ago. Why what's going on beneath their very noses gets a free pass. It's an odd thing, isn't it? Kind of? Well, you know, it's a a form of (laughs) – I would put it this way: it's a form of intersectionality. Okay. Right? So, okay. So the the left is totally committed to so-called green energy, which in fact is environmentally very damaging, wind and solar. But that's another story. Uh-huh. And 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 there used to be a real global market in uh, production of of solar panels, but now they almost all come from China, and they are assembled primarily by enslaved Uyghurs. Now it's very difficult to compete on price with slave labor. Mm-hmm. So what's happened is the Chinese have pretty much driven everybody else out of the solar panel market because of that that uh, cost advantage. Mm-hmm. Now, so here we have all these liberals in America got to have solar energy, got to go solar, and then you point out to them, well, you understand that those solar panels that you're demanding, mandating, legally requiring people to install are are made with slave labor in in China. They don't want to hear it. I can tell you that because my organization has been talking about Oh, you've been doing a great job, a great effort. We've been talking about this. But, man, try to get a liberal to respond uh, is impossible. By the way, aside from checking in with Powerline every day, your magazine is fantastic. Is it okay for you to say a word to our audience about it? Do you want to mention it? Absolutely. Thinking Minnesota is the magazine. And, Seth, you may have just gotten the January issue of the mail. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's one of our best, I think. Um, it's a it's a dynamite magazine. It I is. Say so myself. I, it, it is. It is fabulous. I, I think it's probably the the sharpest magazine 
in America in graphic terms that that's not like house beautiful or country living right, or something right, that's right. just devoted to being beautiful. Right. You know? No, you made but, policy but, exciting. <laughs> yeah. And and well, and from Minnesota. Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. We got the only conservative graphic artist in Minnesota working for us. But and, and so there is a Minnesota focus to it, but but I would say most of the content, if not all the content, is of is of interest to people no you matter bet. where you live. You bet. I read it. And the other thing about our magazine is called Thinking Minnesota, it's quarterly and one great thing about it is that it's free. And so if any of our listeners want to check it out, all you have to do is send an email to info, I-N-F-O, at AmericanExperiment.org, and just put in uh, your name and mailing address and say, please send me your magazine, and we will add you to the list. The circulation, by the way, is about 115,000. That's huge. That's great. John, bless you, sir, and thanks again for working with me on the time. I really appreciate it. No problem. Great to be with you, sir. Godspeed. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Here's an interesting question. There's an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. I'll give to you in a moment uh, from uh, Faye Vincent, the uh, former uh, former commissioner of baseball. Um, do people still – is there still an effort to take a knee during the national anthem of professional sporting events? You certainly don't hear about it anymore, do you? Kind of interesting now that Trump's out of office, isn't it? Kind of interesting. I'll return to that point. Let me read you Faye Vincent. The other day, John Stewart questioned why fans at sport events, sporting events stand for the national anthem. Does anyone know when that started, he asked? It's such a weird ritual. Is it? Is that a weird ritual? Anyway, the custom has its roots in the 1918 World Series between the Boston Red Sox and the Chicago Cubs. There was reduced interest in baseball, so the Cubs were interested in Tying the opening game to wartime patriotism. Accordingly, during the seventh inning stretch, a band began to play the national anthem. Red Sox third baseman Fred Thomas, who was on a brief furlough from the Navy, immediately snapped to attention and saluted. The crowd noticed and began to stand and sing. When the band finished, there was an enthusiastic roar, and the Cubs management was quick to realize what had happened. And when the series moved to Boston... The Red Sox also had the anthem played and thus tied the knot between the national pastime and patriotic emotion. In time, the anthem was moved forward to the start of games, and the live band has given way to some lovely and some cacophonous performances. One reason the tradition has lasted is that most of us find rituals to be rich and rewarding. My father always stood when a woman entered the room, and his Victorian manners and respective led me to believe in the symbolism of the standing gesture. Patriotism isn't a political policy. A government isn't a nation. Is it possible Mr. Stewart is ignoring the essence of solid citizenship by confusing patriotic gestures and symbols with the political messages? The reason I asked the question as to if it's still a thing to take a knee or protest the national anthem is that very point. They made patriotism a political party on their side. We didn't. And if it is no longer an issue, boy... You have to choose between your patriotism and your political party. I'm old enough to remember when it used to be a bad thing to question people's patriotism in politics. That's all the Democrats are doing now.
Do you know, Eric, I learned this this morning thanks to my buddy Jim Ryan here. Uh, we were having a conversation about music earlier today. I didn't know two things he taught me uh, about music. Uh, one is that no one is in more halls of fame, no one is in more musical halls of fame than Johnny Cash. Country, rock and roll, lyrics, all that. And raising the question, well, who has the most appointments to being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Who has been put into the Hall of Fame in rock and roll more than anyone else? Eric Clapton. Eric Clapton. What woman has been put in the Hall of Fame more than any other? little less than Eric Clapton, but the answer is our own Stevie Nicks, Arizona's own Stevie Nicks. It may be easy to um, ignore the rest of the world. And Joe Biden may have done this country a bit of a favor yesterday by putting Russia and Ukraine on um, the front pages and the front lobes of the journalist class in this country. Might have done him a favor. Might have done us a favor. Unwittingly, of course, everything he does is seemingly without wit. But um, but I want you to, if you haven't watched that press conference, watch it. And then think about some of the things Dan Henninger wrote today. He wrote this for a different purpose. But just think about the man who, you know, spent days, by the way, you know this is true, spent days preparing for that press conference and stayed long thinking he was strutting his stuff and being good. See, that's the thing. He thinks he did great, just as he thinks he outperformed expectations. He thinks he did great, just as he thinks Afghanistan was an extraordinary success. Now, Dan Henninger points out, North Korea, which possesses nuclear bombs, has spent the past several weeks launching four ballistic missiles from its mainland. North Korea's Wasong-15 missile test-fired, in 2017, has a theoretical range that would reach somewhere in the U.S. mainland. Both China and Russia the past year tested maneuverable hypersonic missiles, somehow catching the U.S. intelligence community by surprise. China's push into the, into the Pacific is no surprise, but continues. Cyber attacks on the U.S. mainland by foreign entities, primarily Russia, China, and North Korea, shut down the colonial pipeline in the United States and JBS Foods. Ransomware attacks on small U.S. companies, local governments, schools, and hospitals are commonplace and unpublicized and often end with authorities telling the targets to pay. And it borders on amusing that an issue this week is whether U.S. Winter Olympic athletes in Beijing will be in such danger from Communist Party surveillance that they should substitute burner phones for their personal Cell phones. The idea that this would be avoidable if we withdrew from the Olympics is beyond, of course, discussion, debate, or relevance. Vladimir Putin seems almost old school in his decision to mass 100,000 Russian troops on Ukraine's borders. The brinksmanship will be just another day at the office for Mr. Putin if it, it, if it ends with approval this year of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline in Western Europe permanently dependent on Russian energy supplies. These multiple, often novel, threats exist because our adversaries are on offense 24-7 against the U.S. And still there persists that pertinent question, who cares about the Uyghurs or Hong Kong or Taiwan, Crimea, the Baltics, Venezuela, and Poland? 
You launched that press conference yesterday from a man who spent days preparing for it, maybe weeks, but but likely days, more likely days, I should say, who decided to stay longer than anyone expected because he thought he was doing great and building up credibility. You watch that, and then you think about just that little handful, that little, that little, uh, what's the word I want, passel of things taking place across the across the world, affecting America, targeting America or her interests or her allies. And ask yourself, is this man up for this job? Is this man up for this job? I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. My uh, favorite songs to introduce one of my favorite people, Shauna Bullock. She is a member of the Arizona legislature running for secretary of state. Bullock for Arizona.com is her website. And today she un, um, unveiled the roadmap to restore election integrity. Shauna Bullock, welcome back to the show. How are you, sister? I'm a little cold. I'm in northern Arizona, Seth. How are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you're traveling the state running statewide office, uh, Shauna. What is, what is it you're asked most about in your campaign, by the way? Is it about election integrity? Uh, it is definitely the number one issue that I am asked about how I'm going to fix the problems that we have. And it's funny, I... Um, I, I am quoted in one of John Fun and Hans von Spagowski's uh, books from last year, Our Broken Election. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And last year, as you know, in the legislature, we banned uh, private funding for our county election offices, the Zuckerberg Bucks, right? Yep. And I, I was just reading about how I was saying, you know, it would be nice to know who was in control of our elections and make sure that they're fair, uh, making sure that billionaires are you know, not the one funding our elections or it's ahead of it. So people don't trust the system as it currently stands. And I'm sure everybody that calls into your show constantly says this. And I know you and I spoke this time last year because I had unleashed a few election integrity bills. Yep. And what I've done this session, instead of running three, I actually took them all apart and I'm running piece by piece. And some of those pieces are actually in this in, in this roadmap that we released earlier this morning. And as you can see from it, it's all kind of common sense things. Yeah, it's it's different things that people at the polling places who are workers or observers or even helping the tabulation or even adjudication uh, brought some of these issues to our attention last year, the year before, and obviously everywhere in between. So these are things from every day we, the people in Arizona, that are asking for changes. And I'm just a vessel. Um, as a state legislator, uh, sponsoring the bill and hopefully getting some of my colleagues to sign on. Well, you're you're more than a vessel because uh, you know if you win uh, the office of Secretary of State, which I have endorsed you to do, and I hope you do, and I expect you to do, you will be overseeing hopefully this this set of laws that you passed. Does all of this, by the way, your roadmap to restore election integrity, Shauna? Does all of this require change in law, or is some of it implemented at an executive type level? Um, some of it is. Legislative recommendations, obviously, uh-huh. we need to change statutes to update them. As you know, um, the last couple of elections, there was a bit of wiggle room for rigging. And as you know from 
I don't know, the past year. Or so Life <laughs> from waking up. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. And we know even judges now are saying, well, that wasn't in statute, so that was illegal. Right. These are things that we've been talking about for over a year and a half now. Mm-hmm. And there's simple changes. Um, you know, one of my first bills that I dropped was making sure that anybody who is working in an election office, they're prohibited from running a political action committee. Okay. We just got rid of Zuckbuck, so why would we think it was okay to have someone inside of a county election office or even helping oversee or administer an election be be basically the backdoor entry for more billionaire bucks, right? Right. So right. Hopefully, hopefully we can get everybody um, on board for passing that bill. It's common sense. You know, making sure that we have more disclosure, more transparency, more things in real time. I mean, as you know, after the 2000 Bush v. Gore, um, Florida has been changing their election laws ever since, and they know what the results are that evening. So all you got to do is look at some other states on how to fix problems, um, see what they are. You look at what's going on in your own state, and you kind of replicate things that are working in other states as well. Shauna Bullock is our guest, uh, state legislator who's unlo- uh, unveiled her roadmap to restore election integrity today. You can see it at Bullock for Arizona dot com candidate for secretary of state, which oversees our elections uh, statewide. Shauna, if you listened to your vice president this morning, the vice president of the United States, you would have heard her saying that Republicans across the country are trying to make voting harder for racial minorities and other people in this country. To her, you say what with regard to your roadmap? Obviously, you can't speak for what's going on in other in, in every state, but uh, to, per, per your roadmap, you would say what to her? Well, when you look at other liberal states, they don't have as many days to vote as Arizona does. Mm-hmm. And as we have seen, the various changes that Georgia has made, Texas has made, and even Florida, and after the election, you look at the census information, you're seeing more minorities are coming out to vote. And we're making sure that all legal votes are being counted. We don't want to have the same-day voter registration stuff that Secretary Hobbs was trying to push last time. It just doesn't add up. You see liberal states that are doing it. You see liberal states that are pushing for all mail-in ballot elections. Mm -hmm. And to me, the genie is out of the bottle. I don't believe you can put the mail-in ballots back inside. People like them for convenience. Sometimes convenience needs to have more security. As you know, last session we were unable to get legal ID on every single mail in and in, in vote in person. So we have um, the Arizona for Voter ID Act that the citizens are leading right now. They're collecting signatures. Out oh, there. is this the Free Enterprise Club's effort, uh, that group? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we were talking about that a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And with the Honest Election Project yep. and, and the Heritage Action, yep. why are we not requiring all ballots to have a valid ID? I just checked into a motel up in northern Arizona. Yep. First thing they asked me was to see my driver's license. Yep. Okay? So. Yep. How hard is this? Well, I hope and you didn't maybe, yell discrimination. Uh, no. I'm a rule abider, unfortunately, sometimes. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> I know you too. I should say all the time. I'm not sometimes rule abiding. Uh, unless, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, forces majeure could, uh, yeah, right. Uh, Shauna, there's something in your roadmap to restore election integrity I wanted you to say another word on if you could, because it does go to the problem that we've kind of been looking at for about a year now, and you've been out front on this. Clarify that state law prevails over the election manual when the two are in conflict. Would you say something about that? Right. So we have someone who's currently an office holder here as Secretary of State running for governor who thinks that she should be able to put all of the H.R. 1, S. 1, and H.R. 4 
Democratic dream list into the election procedures manual, and that's not how that works. Mm-hmm. Our election procedure manual is not the Bible. You know, you have to actually look and see that you have the Arizona Revised Statutes, and that is the law of the land. And unfortunately, the one that we have right now, um, <clears throat> she was trying to put policy into the election procedure manual. Thank God the attorney general, as well as um, the governor's office, clamped down on that and, and shut it down. Good. Good. And but that could happen again unless your your position takes hold. Right. I mean, that could. Correct. Happen. Right. I believe any Democratic opponent that we have in the general election will do the same things that you've currently seen with Secretary Hobbs. Adrian Fond has got away with his Maricopa County recorder. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, Soros has been funding these offices since the early 2000s. The Republicans are wide awake and they're not going to stand for it anymore. So for strong candidates, um, you're talking to one of them right now. I will never, ever let D.C. nationalize our elections, and I will make sure that our voter rolls are totally cleaned up because they are not clean, as you know. Yeah, no, they're not. And, you know, it's a funny thing. Anecdote, obviously, is is not the singular form of evidence. But, gosh, I got to tell you, I know a lot of people physically have shown me ballots that were mailed to their houses when they yeah. moved out of state and vote in other states long ago, long ago. Yeah. I mean, this what does is- happen. Yeah, the legislature last session, we finally gave people who are receiving those extra ballots the ability to mail them back to the county recorders. Uh-huh. And the county recorders from there are supposed to start moving those individuals to inactive status. Uh-huh. Inactive status means that if you're still in the area and you're still registered to vote for that house, even though you're not voting for the voting for the mail-in ballot because you don't live there anymore, yep. you can still physically go to the polls and you can still cast a ballot. Good. So, you know, people like Biden, Harris, and Schumer... And everybody from the Democratic Socialist Party at the national level, they just love to lie about things. Obviously, they have their Freedom to Cheat Act that they're trying to get through. Thank God, Kirsten Sinema and Manchin stood up last night and did not blow the place up. Yeah, I, 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 I you got to say that's that's exactly right. And and I just got to say, I, I mean, this isn't really why and why I have you on today, but there's just something very, very, very odd about the other Democratic U.S. senator here just letting his uh, fellow senator hang out to dry on this. I, I just, why why he, he gets credit for just staking the middle ground. But, yeah, I've urged listeners to let Kirsten Sinema know, at a girl, just let her, you don't have to vote for her, but let her, let her know she's not without support. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Shauna Bullock, uh, you are with a lot of support, and I am urging all my listeners not to just say at a girl, but to support you. Bullock for Arizona, B-O-L-I-C-K-F-O-R, Arizona. Dot com. This is great roadmap to restore election integrity. I hope you'll stay close to us, not only for the purposes of the campaign, but for helping uh, talk us through things we need to know about election integrity going forward. Thank you for having me on, as always, Seth. You're awesome. Absolutely. You are, too. Now, you, you know, stay warm and and come back home. We need you here. Shauna Bullock, Godspeed to you, please. Thank you, dear. Thank you. Thank you, sister. We'll talk Take to care. you soon. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. It's another great song, Morin Zivon. What was his advice? He learned uh, he was uh, passing away slowly before our eyes due to uh, cancer, lung cancer. He uh, gave one of his last interviews to David Letterman, <clears throat> and Letterman said, uh, "What is the last? Uh, what, what, what advice would you give to the American people? You're in a position not a lot of people can be in." 
And he said, you know what he said? He said, enjoy every sandwich. Enjoy every sandwich. Make every day count. Don't waste a day. Don't waste a moment if you can't help it. Uh, I was talking earlier uh, before Shauna came on about uh, Dan Henninger's column in the Wall Street Journal outlining a myriad of threats aimed at us and our allies. I mean, a myriad of complex threats that it's it, it, it would be unimaginable to think most people even are aware of them. I wasn't even aware of all of them. And uh, and and I and I just think I'll 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 state state the point again. I just think it's hugely important to go watch the commander in chief yesterday and think about how confident we or our allies should be in our ability to thwart or defend against any of these. Much less roll them back. A lot of us were taught in political science, and I think it's fairly fairly accurate that we went as a policy with communism from containment until Ronald Reagan, a policy of rollback. Right now, we're nowhere near rollback. And containment is so far from the line right now, as Joey from Friends would say, we are so far from that line, the line is a dot to us. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. 